0: So God's word cannot fail. It's interesting because I've been looking at this passage and preparing my message. And Sunday, having not spoken to Brian in about five weeks, okay? So Brian was gone for two and a half. I was gone for a week. Then he was just gone this, this last week. And we had a son getting married and family coming in. It was like, hey, Bri, good to see you again. I'm your wife, Cheryl. Cheryl. Because we had a son get married last weekend. He's married now. He's happily married now. I saw him on Wednesday, very happy. But, and you know, that just, I saw Brian across the reception. We even sat next to each other, but we were both secretly filming our grandchildren on stage. There was a bride and groom, but we were filming the, bridesma- the flower girl and the ring bearer. That's what grandparents do. But last Sunday, Brian quoted from John 10, 35. And he said, and the scripture cannot fail. That's what Jesus said. And the scripture cannot fail. Jesus, speaking of his own imminent death and his fulfillment of the scripture said, and the scripture cannot fail. I had had written that down for my notes for today and then Brian said it on Sunday. And I'm like, wait, that's not in your text. That's for me. But God was confirming again. The scripture cannot fail. Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth seven times. All the dross has been removed from the word of God. You are getting the essential gold, the essential um goodness and purity of God's word. Psalm 1830, as for the Lord, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. It's proven. It works. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Genesis as the book of beginnings, it starts out to prove to us the possibility of fallen man having a relationship with the living God and even walking with God. We can walk with God, even in this broken, fallen world. But it also shows us the unfailing, unfaltering, and unflinching fulfillment of God's word. Don't you love that? What God has said will absolutely take place, no matter how improbable No matter how seemingly ridiculous, no matter how far-fetched it may appear, when God states something, it becomes an absolute. Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10, God says, Remember the former things of old. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Romans 4, 17, I love this. In speaking of Abraham, Paul writes, I have made you a father, of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead. He gives life to dead situations. He gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Things that have yet to be created. Things that have yet to come to pass. He calls it out and says, it will happen God is zealous to perform his word, and his word cannot fail. God's word stands even when we falter, even with unbelievers, even when people don't want to believe. God's word still is true, still works, still holds, even when circumstances are contrary to it, even when we feel rejected and diminished and an outsider from it, and even after it's been fulfilled. It continues to be fulfilled. There is still more. God promised to Abraham in Genesis 12. You perhaps remember, I will make you a great nation and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 12, 7. To you, to you and your descendants, I will give this land. Genesis 13, verses 15 through 16. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be numbered. Genesis 15, verses 4 through 5. This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your descendants be." genesis fifteen thirteen know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs Genesis seventeen verses two through three the promise of descendants again, and I will bless her, Sarah, and also give you a son by her. then I will bless her and she shall be called a mother of nations, kings of peoples shall be from her genesis seventeen twenty one but my com- Covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this set time next year. And Genesis 18.10, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Remember how preposterous this sounded to Sarah? Remember how she laughed in her heart, thinking of her advancing age, 80, and Abraham's advancing age in his 90s? What might have seemed a slight possibility when they entered Canaan, when they were just at those young ages of 60s and 70s? After 23 years in the land and advancing age, it absolutely seemed ridiculous by any human standard. Absolutely ridiculous. Abraham had only a promise from God's Word. I've told you this story before, but it's one of my favorite. Streams in the Desert, the devotional by Letty Cowman, that we've all been so blessed by. It was first published in 1925 after the death of her husband Charles. They were missionaries that went to Japan in 1913 till 1919, and they were forced by Charles' health to return to the U.S. But they started something called the Oriental Missionary Society, OMS, which is still, still in um, service today. But their goal from the time they went there in 1913 was to get a copy of the Gospel of Matthew in Japanese to every household in Japan, and they did it. However, before they moved to Japan... They, they felt this call to be missionaries. And so they sold absolutely everything they had and they gave the proceeds to their church. And before they were to leave, having sold everything without any money, the church took up an offering for them. And then they gave them everything that was in the offering. And do you know what all those offering bags contained? 25 cents. One quarter, that was it. That was it. They were going to Japan. They had sold everything. They had been wealthy. They would given it all to the church. And now they had 25 cents. And her husband picked up that quarter and he looked at his wife and he said, oh, Letty, look, 25 cents and all the promises of God. And with that 25 cents and all the promises of God, by 1919, they had gotten, as I said, a copy of the Gospel of Matthew translated into Japanese to every household living in Japan. He was forced back in 1990. 1990- 19, like I said, because of health problems. And so she wanted to bless the people who were still on the mission field in Japan. So she began to collect whatever she heard, if it was a quote from her pastor in church, if it was something that she read in her own personal devotions or a book, she began to make a copy of it and just write it down. And she sent it out in an encouragement letter, encouraging letter to those on the mission field. Well those on the mission field collected all of those and they sent it back to Letty and she she compiled all of them into Streams in the Desert which happens to be since 1925 the best selling Christian 365 day devotional ever and it continues to support the OMS God's word does not fail even when we falter. Ronald Reagan was famously quoted as saying, "Here we go again," concerning his opponent's rhetoric, reaction, and activity. And I think this is a perfect a perfect heading for Genesis chapter 20. Don't you? Here we go again. After God has clarified Twice to Abraham, that Sarah will have the promised son within a year. In Genesis chapter 17, God said, No, it's Sarah. And he changed to Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah just to get the notion across to Abraham this is the covenant wife. After the divine visitation that we studied in Genesis chapter 18, What Abraham does next is shocking because he knows better. He has seen the Lord. He has heard the Lord. He has had victory in the Lord. He has defeated aggressive kings by the Lord. He has seen the validity of God's promise. He has been blessed by Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. He has had clarification on God's word. He has been given a specific time that God would do this. And he has fully entered into a covenant with God that includes Sarah. And after all this, when Abraham enters into Gerar, he turns to Sarah and says, you know what? Tell them, you're my sister. If anyone asks, you're my sister. Why did he do this? Abraham will later say to Abimelech, I did this because I was afraid. I felt certainly that there is no fear of God in this place. Sarah, the covenant wife, is given into the secular court of Abimelech. Can you believe that? Abraham actually gives away the covenant wife. That is to give birth to the child of the covenant. Now, to me, it's like we are either way over here or way over here, aren't we? So Abraham's either trying to make God's promises come true or he's totally complicating God's promises by his self-preservation. Isn't that us? Whenever we try to help God out, we are either uh, complicating it or we're always complicating it and we're moving the promise of God further away. We're actually delaying it whenever we try to fix it, whenever we try to do something. I remember, um, I remember when my youngest daughter wasn't walking with Jesus. And I would think of these great lectures to give her. Oh, I thought of such great lectures. I mean, they should be published in a book. They were so wonderful. And every time I gave her a lecture, it was absolutely counterproductive. It was, it, it was like the worst thing I could possibly have said or done. And, and, you know, God began to speak to me like, Cheryl, could you just let me work? Could you take your hands away? Because my hands were so on it, so involved in it, God couldn't get through. God is committed to his word and promise to Abraham, so much so that God's work even reaches to a pagan king. God knows exactly how to speak and when to speak. And here's somebody who doesn't even have the fear of God. Abraham says that there's no fear of God in this place. I tell them I'm a prophet. They won't care. I tell them this is a covenant wife. They won't care. But God knows exactly what force to speak with and when to come. So he speaks to this king during Abimelech's most personal, intimate and vulnerable time in his sleep. In his sleep. Sleep is so important to men. I know because I wake up my husband like three or four times because he's snoring. Brian is super nice to me except for at night when he's snoring. And that's the only time he calls me woman. The other time it's Cheryl, Honey, you know, Love Bug. Not really. That was just mine. But he'll he'll be. But the minute you know, like last night, three times, Brian and I had earplugs on, and I'm I'm hitting him. He's like, Woman. I'm like, just just turn on your side, and he kind of does that, but then he flops right back. So I'm you know doing this again. Woman. It's like. I guess it's his night push button. You know, where, where I push him, it's always, when I push him at night, it's always, woman. <laughs> it's not like even like, what? Or Cheryl, what are you doing? It's always, woman. <laughs> kind of find it's interesting. Sleep is so important to men. But God speaks to this man through a dream. And God strong arms this king. God knows exactly what to say. And to this king, he says, you're a dead man. You know, I tried that. It doesn't work. (laughs) You're a dead man. It works when it comes from God. You're a dead man. I think in our naivety, we try to choose the means God should use. Could you just go to Abimelech and say, "Uh, give Sarah back really nicely, God. Like, do it in your lovey voice. You know, God's like, um, that won't work. I've got another phrase to use. You're a dead man. That will work. You know, when we're praying for people, this is why God wants our hands off. Because God knows how to say it, when to say it, and the force to use. Our means are ineffective. We don't know what God knows, and God knows what works. So he says, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Abimelech then declares his righteousness I didn't know, you know, I didn't touch her. But God says, No, I don't think so. I didn't let you touch her. Let's get this straight. You're not righteous. I didn't let you touch. I am so sovereign over your life, Abimelech. All your problems, everything you're going through is because I'm intruding into your life and you're gonna die unless you return this woman to that man. Abimelech is not righteous. God said, for I withheld you from sinning against me not against Abraham. I withheld you from sinning against me. That's how strong the covenant of God is. You intrude in that covenant. What God has put together, let no man put asunder. You intrude into what God has done, and God says, your issue is with me. You can tell that to anyone you see making love eyes at Brian. Pastor Brian. God commands this Philistine king to restore Sarah to Abraham. And then he says, and you know what? Let's go a step further. You need Abraham to pray for you. You want relief from the situation you're in? The only way you're gonna get relief is if Abraham prays for you. The only way that this curse that is presently on your household can possibly be removed is if my man Abraham prays for for you. In other words, you're indebted to Abraham. Abraham is not indebted to you. So early in the morning, Abimelech calls his servants. He tells them everything, and the servants are afraid of Abraham. Then Abimelech called Abraham, and Abimelech restored Sarah to Abraham. God is going to fulfill his word. Like Abraham, we often work and unknowingly we are working against the very promises that God has made to us. We are slowing things down. But aren't you relieved that God is committed to fulfilling his word? Even when we get it wrong, God gets it right. God fulfills his word to Abraham and Sarah. We read in Genesis 21, 1 through 8, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. He did for the person, Sarah. He did it at the time. He did the work, conception, childbirth, and God did it all exactly as he promised. But this is not the End of the promise. This is not the end of the word of God. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just give us one promise and say, "Okay, that's it. Enjoy. That's your one promise. You can wait all your life, but that's your one." No. Aren't you so glad as we sang that all His promises are yes and amen? That He gives us promise after promise, and this promise about Isaac, about this descendant, this is only the beginning of the promises. This is the validation that everything God has ever promised is going to happen. It's going to happen. Here is the venue. Here is the way in. God not only keeps his word to Abraham and Sarah, but also to Hagar. In ministry, one of the hardest aspects is when you have to let somebody go. It's so hard. I mean I would like to just mother everybody. My mom my mother-in-law Carol was telling me she was an accountant for years and she worked for a large company that was downsizing and she was in this department and she said every day over the loudspeaker they would call one of her coworkers to the office and the coworker would leave and go to the office and then return with two security guards and they had to collect all of their belongings. And then these security guards would escort them to their car and take their confiscate their keys, and that would be it. And I remember my mother-in-law was just tortured by watching one co-worker that she loved and invested in, all except for the Jehovah Witness, that was not as bad as everybody else. I remember she said, that woman was so unhappy every day. But even that, my mother-in-law called me crying when she was removed from work. It's one of the hardest aspects of it. But when Isaac is weaned at this party that they threw, and Isaac could have been anywhere from three to five years old. Ishmael at this time is anywhere from 16 to 19 years old. She sees Ishmael mocking, teasing. Um, It can even go so far as a physical uh, abuse what she saw—it's a very serious matter. The way he was mocking, the way he was taunting this little child—it's, it, you know, it's, it's perverse when you see a teenager mocking a three- to five-year-old, hurting and frustrating. Sarah is very displeased, and she tells Abraham her concern. Sarah is worried about her young, vulnerable son. Think about it. Sarah's in her 90s. How can she defend Isaac against Ishmael? How can she watch him constantly? She's probably taking a lot of naps. (laughs) Ishmael is resentful of this young intruder. Because of Isaac, Ishmael has lost his inheritance. He's lost the wealth and the prestige of being the firstborn son because of this young child named Laughter. He's lost everything. And I think Hagar is also bitter and that bitterness is being um, infused into Ishmael. And you know, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says, It says, fire is raging, but who can stand before jealousy? Who can stand before envy? And Sarah strongly recommends that Abraham protect Isaac, the child of promise, by sending Ishmael away. Abraham is displeased. It hurts. But God confirms Sarah's concern, and Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael away. They depart and they wander in the area of Beersheba, which is close to the Negev. They run out of water and Hagar panics. She hides Ishmael under some foliage, sure that he will die. But God finds Hagar. You know, perhaps Hagar knew she was in the wrong. Perhaps she knew her own bitterness. Knew that her child was not the promised child. Now she's been sent away. I don't think she expected God to come through again. But God finds Hagar. And he says, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. At that moment, God opens Hagar's eyes to see a well of water, not just a spring, not just a puddle, but a well of water, sustenance of water. Both Hagar and Ishmael are revived, and just as the Lord promised, Ishmael marries, has descendants, prospers as an archer, and Ishmael grows and later becomes a nation God's word prevails even to Hagar and Ishmael. Even though they are rejected, even though they were sent away, God's word to them was greater than any of the riches Ishmael could have received as Abraham's heir. Even when we feel rejected and diminished, removed, God still cares and is still going to fulfill his word. And even when those we love are removed from us, God is still going to fulfill his word. God sustained, he prospered, and he blessed Ishmael according to his word. There is a time when we have to commit those we love to God's word. There is only so much we can do for them. Maybe because of their own sin, because of their own mocking, their own taunting, Uh, the disturbance that they're creating in the house, there's only so much we can do. And we have to commit them and commend them to the word of God. In Acts chapter 20, Paul knew that his ministry time was short and he met with the Ephesians. He says, after I leave, I know that ravenous wolves are going to come in, some of them um, rising up from among your very fellowships. And they're going to seek to destroy the word of God. They're going to seek to eat up the sheep of God. But Paul said, and now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I know that the word of God will work for you. Even if you're removed from me, even if I can't come running to you, even if I can't write you a letter of encouragement, even if I'm in heaven, I know that I can commend you to the word of his grace and it will cause you to stand. It will build you up and give you everything you need. God's word can sustain, bless, prosper, and minister in ways that we can't we have to and God will God will make it so we have to just give people over to the promises of God. We just have to especially our children I've my, um, my son-in-law had a job in New York and he was dismissed by no wrongdoing of his own. he was dismissed from his job. And his last paycheck was supposed to be August 31st. Well, they looked at it and they said, okay, your last paycheck will be October 31st. Brian and I, because of this wedding and other things, we're just, we're broke, okay? We're struck, but we're, God is good. We don't need your money. God is sustaining us. We're learning new lessons of faith, everything. But we do not have money to send them. We just don't. And we're looking at this going, great. They're without a paycheck, October 31st, and we're praying, and we're praying, and we're praying. Well, the Apostles Church of New York City hired my son-in-law November 1st. November 1st. He's 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 the interim pastor till February, but he's irresistible. He's the pastor. I speak a word of faith. God did what we couldn't do, We're here in California. He's in New York. They need money. We don't have any because we just did a wedding. But God, but God, we were able to commend them over to the word of God. God who said, I will provide everything that you need according to my riches and glory. We could commend them to the word of God's grace. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be, you know, doing it absolutely right. This is a word of grace that we commend. We can commend sinners and saints to the word of God's grace. We can stand on these promises for those we love because God's word never fails. I want you to think of it for for a moment. If Ishmael had stayed in the tents of Abraham. He would never have become what he was supposed to become. He would never have become an archer. He would never have married an Egyptian wife. He would never have had the descendants that all became uh, kings. God had to remove Ishmael from Abraham's tent so God could prove himself to Ishmael. You know, so many times we think it's all about Isaac, but sometimes it's about Ishmael. Sometimes God is removing that he might work, work in the one who feels rejected and diminished, that he might complete his word to them. God's word continues to bless and prevail, Genesis 21, 22 through 24. Abimelech, who was once feared by Abraham, now comes to make a covenant with Abraham. Don't you love this? How the tables are turned. At one point, Abraham is afraid of Abimelech. But who's afraid now? Abimelech comes to Abraham. And he says, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity. But according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have sojourned. As Abimelech looked at Abraham's wife, no doubt still reeling from the dream from the plague that had been in his house. He now looks at Abraham, the wife that he returned to Abraham, that 90 year old thing, has just had a baby according to the word of God. And he's like, I'm kind of afraid of you. You know, God sterilized all my wives and yet God makes your 90 year old productive. Abraham uses the advantage to bring up the subject of a well that some of Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech promises to remedy the situation, and they enter into a covenant together. And Abraham ratifies that covenant by giving seven sheep to signify or to pay for the water rights to the well he dug. Beersheba uh, sounds a lot like spring of seven, uh, and so. There is something in that, that Abimelech will look at those seven sheep and remember that Abraham owns the water rights to this well in Beersheba. Abraham then plants a tamarisk tree to mark the spot of the covenant. A tamarisk tree requires lots of water, so its growth is dependent on this well, which will also be a sign of the covenant to Abraham. And then Abraham calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God everlasting, not just that he's eternal, but what Abraham is declaring is you have been faithful from beginning to end. You are the alpha. You are the omega. You are imminent. You have always been there. And Abraham there calls on the name of the Lord. To call on the name of the Lord is he's remembering, he's praising the faithfulness of God. There's a song, a hymn that I used to sing as a child um, called God Moves in Mysterious Ways. And I just want to read you the lyrics. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessing on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and scan his work in vain. God in his own interpreter And he, how God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. It's a known fact that I love to watch Judge Judy. (laughs) And at times, she will look at one of the litigants and say, you'll never know where I'm going with this. If you live a million years, you'll never guess where I'm going with this. So don't try to guess, don't try to anticipate what you should say, just tell the truth. With God, in a million years, we cannot guess or anticipate how he is going to perform his word and bring it to pass. Because it's mysterious, it's wondrous, but we can believe it we can stand on it, and we can cooperate with it. God promised Abraham that he would have a son through Sarah. He also told Abraham that his descendants would possess all of Israel. He told him that through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And God kept all of his word to Abraham, culminating in the son of David, the son of Abraham, Matthew 1.1, as promised by God's word, Jesus the Messiah came, the ultimate descendant. Abraham's child, this word of God to Abraham, points to the ultimate word of God to all of us. In Isaiah 9.6, God said, for unto us a child is born, through the prophet Isaiah, unto us a child is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God is zealous, as Jesus said, and the scripture must be fulfilled. And the scripture cannot fail. The zeal of the Lord of hosts performed this. God was zealous to perform his word to Abraham And he was zealous to perform his ultimate word to Abraham through Jesus. But even Jesus is not the end of God's word or the end of the story. He is the venue into all of the promises of God. He is the way into everything God has said we can be assured of every promise of God because of Jesus, because he kept his word. He has given us a son. He has given us the child whose name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. No matter how impossible, improbable, or seemingly ridiculous, God will do all that He says in His Word. A time is coming and soon will be when all the kingdoms of this world will be under the authority of Jesus, the Messiah. Because God's Word is unfailing, unfaltering, and unflinching, it stands up in the court of secular kings. It happens even under improbable circumstances. It holds true even for the rejected, the diminished, and the undeserving. And it takes precedent over every authority in this world. This is the word of God that has been given to us in the Bible. To be truly prepared, to truly prosper, even in these dark, broken times, and to be protected for the future. What is needed is to believe God's word and invest your life completely in it. Come under the full authority of God's word. That what God says is greater than circumstances. What God said is greater than any king or sovereign or ruler What God says is greater than any heart that mocks or taunts. What God says will stand, will be accomplished, will come to pass. God's word cannot fail. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. It is unfaltering unfailing, and unflinching. I was praying because with Genesis 20 and 21, there were so many different directions to take this chapter. But God said, I want you to tell them about my word. I felt it so strongly in my heart. You tell them that my word is unfaltering, unfailing, and unflinching. You need to know this for today. You need to know this for tomorrow. You need to write this over every circumstance of your life. You need to never forget and always remember that God's word never fails. This word will stand. People will fall. Governments will fall. Buildings will fall. Institutions will fall. But this word will not falter. This word will will not fail. This word will stand forever. You who have come under the authority of God's word, rejoice, rejoice, because all that God has promised will come to pass. And in this, we can be thankful. In this, we can take joy, because he has given us his holy word that we can find promises for today and promises for tomorrow and we can stand and we can believe and we can know with absolute certainty because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of the son of Abraham, the son of David that has come and died for the sins of the world and risen again, that every word that God has spoken will come to pass and not fail. Let's pray. Lord, our word will fail. We will falter. We will get it wrong. But oh Lord, how I praise you and thank you that even when I get it wrong, you get it right. Lord, I thank you that those we love, we can commend to you. Lord, even as Paul said that he believed that everything he entrusted to you was safe. Lord, you have a better plan, a better plan for those that we love, a better plan for our descendants, a better plan, Lord, through your word and through your promises than we could ever come up with. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to give ourselves completely to your word, to come under the authority, to invest in this word, to believe on it, to stand on it, And Lord, that we might be participants in all that you want to do in and through your word, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.